what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, you are back. A solid birthday weekend it was. I, mm-hmm. I assume your, your social was on fire over the weekend. It was fun, man. We went and saw uh, John Mulaney. He's having a nice little comeback to our encouraging to check him out. It was super funny. It was a great time. <laughs> a very introspective bits by John Mulaney. Very funny. Uh, and then went and saw went to Music Midtown. Saw Meg The Stallion, Jack Harlow, MGK. It was a great time. And then we had like a like a dinner on Monday. Kept it classy. So it was an overall great four or five day stretch for me and the me and the boys. You turned twenty seven. I was I was wondering what are you going to do for thirty because. That, that is a, a tough bar to live up to. And you want to blow it out for 30, but you also can't at the same time be like, you know, I'm going to do every single birthday like this moving forward. But, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with going big, especially when, when all of us have been limited with what we can go out and do. It's kind of nice to be able to have that birthday where you can feel like you can actually go out and do stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like it just kind of felt like it was, a, you know, it was the happiest I've been for a minute because everybody I loved was there. I was telling you off air, I got like a four-player arcade version of NBA Jam as like a, as like a birthday present. It was, I have it was never awesome. been more jealous of you <laughs> than when you told me that. I was just going to put it behind me in Zoom and just be playing while we're on air. I love it. That's perfectly but, fine. Yeah, man. No, I mean, we, you know Brittany, and she's a uh, she's a competitor at heart. And so I think every birthday she tries to outdo herself. We talked about the tank story on here. And so we'll see. I might be on the moon for 30. Well, who can know, really? To the moon. Love it. Love it. <laughs> a lot to get to today. First time guest, Roman Harper, coming up in a little bit. Got into a lot of different things about his background, some playing stuff, some some analyst stuff, and got into some current SEC defense type of things. Plus, a little bold and brash coming up later on. A lot yes, of great sir. predictions. A lot of great predictions for the week four action. And then, of course, we're going to preview everything week four in the SEC picks and over-unders. But first... I had a few people reach out to me. They tried my avocado toast and Texas pea combo. People, I'm I'm not I'm not just making this up here. All right, this is this is not something that I just did once and then I didn't really go back to. I'm telling you, avocado toast and Texas peat is the winning combination. That's the only way to do avocado toast. What's the only way to do flavor? You ask Texas peat. This is the perfect time of year to load up on Texas Pete. Not just because it's getting a little bit chilly outside. It was 75 this morning in Orlando. So you need some heat, you know, bring the Texas Pete. That's what I always say. Not only though, is it football season, Texas Pete accompanies all things football, but also because right now for our listeners, you can go to texaspeat.com and get recipes and get t-shirts and get hats. And as I always say, you can get hot sauces by the box if you so choose. If you do that, you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code Saturday Down South. That's all one word. All you gotta do, texaspeat.com, Saturday Down South. That's the promo code, sauce like you mean it. Week four is here. Picks over-unders, got eight to get to. Let's start with LSU Mississippi State and then we're gonna save Arkansas A&M for the very end. Will, LSU is a two and a half point favorite. This game being played in Starkville. The over-under I have is two mentions of KJ Costello, who, as everyone knows, was the quarterback of a very historic day in Death Valley to kick off the 2020 season. Gotta get KJ Costello on the pod. I don't know what he's doing right just now. I saw last he was Chargers practice squad, got waived last month. 
I'd, I'd love to do this. And well, I know you would want no part of this. We've done kind of oral history <laughs> types projects together in the past. We did the IMG podcast a few years back, but mm -hmm. the oral history of that day, we'll give it a couple years. Give it a couple years when LSU isn't so scorned from that opening game against Mike Leach's air raid, but we'll do the oral history eventually. Are you on board for that? Oh yeah, and like I can't wait. I personally can't wait just to see how bad things were with that LSU team. I've often thought about that. Like four or five years down the road, yeah, I'd love to get like the Mississippi State take, the LSU take, and it's like a lot of these guys, you know, are still on the roster. Obviously, because it was last year. I want to get yep. them on. Like we talked about the made men from Alabama that we're gonna call out Saban on the D's nuts jokes. We need some guys who leave LSU, go into their own career. They come back and they say, man, that guy Bo Pelini, he was eating hot dog sideways. He was a weirdo. And <laughs> like, I want to really get the in-depth. So yeah, you're absolutely right. We, we've talked about that game. I really hope it's not a repeat. The defense has looked uh, encouraging, I feel like you could say, against inferior competition after the UCLA game. This being a noon kick is kind of a bummer, or it's not, you know? Maybe LSU just handles business like it's have a great Saturday. So this is actually just kind of an apex SEC, you know, noon Eastern game, because really it can go either way. It's really, you throw it on, you're like, oh, that makes sense. No, but really, no matter what happens. True. We would, if we did that project, we would have to find the LSU fan who smashed the TV at that outdoor bar. See if that, see if that guy's still upset. <laughs> if he's calmed down a little bit, I don't think he is. Is he okay? Yeah, you need uh, a hug, okay, man. Guy? Dude, just we'll give you a hug at the beginning of the interview. That's that. Well, that's the way that we'll pay you for your time. That though is the exact same reason that this game is huge for Durante Jones, the LSU defensive coordinator. You get to show how much better you are than Bo Pelini. Not that hard, but still something that you as Bo Pelini's successor, which that even sounds weird to say, that's something that you have to be able to take pride in. I think LSU will be better defensively than it was last year. Not saying much still, but I don't think Mississippi State lights it up and this is some game that we look back on and say this was the beginning of the end for Ed Ogeron in that defense. But what is Mississippi State starting to figure out? Makai Polk, the, the Cal transfer receiver, is the real deal. He can stretch the field for him. And if you're going to beat LSU, I kind of, this sounds strange to say, but I kind of think that you have to beat them over the top as well. And you have to be able to do it that way because we've seen them kind of have some lapses on the back end of the secondary. We talk about how great the cornerback play is, but can you beat them deep with the, with the safeties? You have to be able to try and do that. Will, you've seen some of these big busts in coverage in those moments. Yeah, it's fair to say we've seen some major burns. I see what you did there. We've had a couple of good major Burns references from you in the first few weeks of this. I like that. We're going to have to keep bringing that back up. It's just an all-time great name. All-name team major Burns. Absolutely. Well, it's great that he's struggling, too, because it would be even funnier if he was good, but the fact that he is literally living up to his name is like, saw it coming. Rough. Dude, that's a rough name for a DB. But if he, has, if he has a pick in this one, and if he's able to help fuel an LSU win, maybe the narrative around him is a little bit different. It is kind of a low-key, desperate game for both of these coaches. And I, I don't think this is like a, a hot seat game where this is 2016 LSU Auburn all over again with Les versus Gus and it felt like the loser oh, was gonna get fired. That's oh. a bad game I hadn't thought about since that day. Oh. That ending of that game too, where it looks like LSU has the game won and then they go back and they see that there wasn't any time left on the clock. Just a strange way. But that second September loss in the SEC, it hits different. It just does. 
And I think that where you you really get hung up on this when you're when you're a fan of the, the losing team in a game like this is you realize this this path that we had to relevance this year is all but over. And we're probably not talking about a New Year's Six Bowl. If you lose two games in September, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers. But I can't imagine there are a ton. USC in 2016 being one of them, that great game that you omitted from your memory against Penn State in the Rose Bowl. See, it didn't that, happen to me, so it doesn't count. <laughs> right, exactly. They had three September losses, I think, that year. But, Sounds fraudulent. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Mississippi State fans have watched two home wins, yes, but they watched the air raid look pretty awful for most of those games. And the angst that would come from Mississippi State fans if you aren't able to string some of these drives together, it would be very evident, I, I think. But I think Mississippi State wins this game outright. I'm gonna stick with my original preseason prediction here because when I close my eyes and I try and picture the end of this game and how this could go in the final minute or two, all I can think about is Max Johnson on this last ditch drive where Zach, Zach Arnett's defense looks like it's flying around all over the place. Max Johnson looks like he has no time to throw and the cowbells are rocking and it's this brutal like, oh man, this is just an uphill climb for him. They need a touchdown here. Maybe they're down four or something like that and he's not able to put it together and he's throwing off his back foot and it's some prayer or something like that. And I just kind of feel like he's in, he's gonna be in a tough place and he's gonna be on an island at the end of the game. I think we kind of overuse the phrase fork in the road game in sports in general, but I kind of feel like this might be that for, for both of these teams because if you're Mississippi State and you win this game, all right, that, that changes kind of how we're feeling. The YouTube bump for Leach is in full effect, but for LSU, man, that'd be a, a very tough pill to swallow. Will, fire away. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, no. I, wow, that was so shockingly accurate. I wish I could disagree with any of that. All you had to throw in was me just <laughs> scarfing down a pretzel as I watched Max Johnson just fight for his life out there against the 3-3-5. No, I think you nailed it. I think the big game for Auburn, or sorry, the big game for LSU is probably Auburn next week. Hopefully I got that one right this time. And that, that's the one that it's like, yeah, because if you lose to Mississippi State, you're probably going to lose to Auburn. If you beat Mississippi State, we, you know, anything, the world is your oyster at that point. I don't know. You uh, still got that game in Death Valley, though. Auburn still has won there in the 21st century. So that's still going to be tough. Like, else you could theoretically lose this game and then win that. But just when you have that second loss. No, yeah, changes. but you're right. It's like, that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you lose this game, but then like, then you got Auburn and like, it doesn't slow down, but you could build momentum. Yeah. Like I said, we've all heard the nonsense quotes from LSU Twitter as far as we look great against Central Michigan. We look great in this. It's like, this is really, like you said, put up or shut up time. We could all write off the UCLA loss or I've tried to. So now it's, now it's time for the SEC and you know, this is an unforgiving league. Don't really think that the John Emery news that he is back practicing uh, makes much of a difference in this game in the way that I kind of see it breaking down when he's been uh, mostly ineffective and some of that may be his own doing, some of that the, the doing of his offensive line. But I, I know that's been a, a big storyline this week in Baton Rouge. And if he's able to if he's able to play, does that give them an emotional lift? I wouldn't necessarily go there. I think LSU still has other things to figure out in the running game as well. Georgia. 34 and a half point favorite against Vandy. That is a large spread. The over-under I have, 0.5 Vandy trips to the red zone. Anybody can talk points here, but how many times will the doors even knock on, well, for lack of a better word, the door? I feel so bad for Ken Seals. 
that offensive line is bad. And I'm not breaking any news by saying the Vandy is struggling in the trenches here, but they couldn't protect him against Stanford. Ken Seals has developed into a guy that I want to see on another team. And I don't mean that Vandy fans should have to endure that and they should have to endure really horrible quarterback play just because I think that he'd be fun to watch kind of make some of these next level throws in an offense that's actually going to be able to give him time. And he's by no means a, a perfect quarterback or anything like that, but he's at least intriguing. But long, long day ahead for the young fella. I, I watched that Georgia defense and what they did to poor Luke Doty, who hadn't played a game yet this year, and he wasn't even starting in that game. I'm not sure if he knew he was going to play or not, but Zeb Nolan gets his finger stepped on by Jalen Carter. And then you kind of see, oh, yeah, this is just impossible. Shane Beamer had the comment about Georgia having 100 five-star guys on defense. Hashtag stars matter. Shout out to Ari Wasserman of The Athletic. But mm -hmm. that kind of shows you what you're up against every single time you got to go against this Georgia Georgia front. What Georgia does, it, it's just not, it's not fair because they, they rotate guys in and out. They have so many different ways to beat you up front. We say this every single week. And especially with all the attention that's given to Jordan Davis, you sometimes see guys like Nicobe Dean just coming unblocked through the A-gap. And you're saying to yourself, how could this happen? How can an offensive line not be able to see something like that? That should be illegal, but I get why it happens so much. You know, when you're a kid and you're playing backyard football or you're playing football at school or something like that, and you do the, the five 1,000 rush, right? right. One 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000. I think we need that for this game because without it, it's gonna be like Georgia's playing backyard football without the five second rush rule. That's gonna be really tough. And I, I really feel bad for, for Vandy having to go through this. This is an inevitable, sorry outcome for them. Georgia covers, I think, another week without Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith. At least that's what it seems like. But Georgia should be able to win big in this game. And as long as Kirby doesn't decide that he needs to rotate quarterbacks in and out or, or something like that, I think this ends up being like a 42 to, oh, 42 to nothing type game. Yeah, it looks like Vandy's offensive MVPs are going to be thoughts and prayers. Poor Vandy. I've said that four times, I think. I've said the words poor Vandy. We'll probably say it a lot more on Saturday. Mizzou, two and a half point favorite on the road, Boston College. The over-under I have, 26 Tyler Beatty touches. Some Tyler Beatty stats. Number two in the SEC in carries with 48. He's number two in the SEC in rushing guards with 345. He's number one among SEC running backs in total offensive snaps with 155, averaging 21 scrimmage touches per game, 72 snaps that guy played against Kentucky. I bring this up because this wasn't the plan. Eli Drinkwitz didn't envision Tyler Beatty being in a role like this. He came on this podcast and talked about how unique Larry Roundtree was and how replacing him would be a bit of a shift in the way that he typically likes to use his backfield. Beatty has been like Roundtree plus the ability to catch passes out of the backfield. Against Jeff Halfley's defense, the Boston College head coach, you need all of Tyler Beatty because I think that defense is going to be all over Connor Basilak. That defense for Boston College ranks number six in the country right now, albeit against some weak competition so far. When I originally picked this game in the preseason, Phil Dracovich was healthy. The Boston College quarterback who transferred from Notre Dame, I thought he did a lot of things really well last year. He's not though, because he's out for the year. So Dennis Grossel is the starter, very inconsistent. 
but I still worry about Mizzou on the road. And I think they struggled to protect Connor Bazelak. He plays behind the sticks a bit too much. And Mizzou drops a, a winnable road game. Drinkowitz, by the way, not a fan of this one, that this was on the schedule and this was on the schedule long before he took over at Mizzou, but it is a weird non-conference game for Mizzou to go all the way up to the Northeast and play against Boston College. I don't want to do the thing where we say, oh, SEC teams just never want to travel North. There's a lot of proof behind that, but he brings up a good point. He's like, look, we've never recruited anybody from the state of Massachusetts. Why are we playing in this game? This is so weird that we're doing this. And he's right. And if you look at the future non-conference stuff, they're, you know, Illinois, Illinois, Kansas, Kansas State, that, that makes a bit more sense for Mizzou's geographical footprint instead of having to go all the way across the country to play this game at Boston College when it's like, hey, could could they not get anyone else for, for this home and home? Just just weird, not any sort of history there. Um, so I, I actually kind of side with him, even though it's gonna, some people might take that as, oh, travel, play anywhere, anytime. But anyway, I think Mizzou and the road woes continue a bit. They also have a home and home with, or I guess like a two for one with UMass. What is going on with that AD? UMass has some power five home and homes. And I don't know who was running things at UMass or, or what or how that worked, but I think they have home and homes with Rutgers, Syracuse. If I'm not mistaken, that's a relatively common thing. And right, I mean, it's, it's hold on. Rutgers and Syracuse are in that kind of geographic region. We're now talking about Mizzou's AD now scheduling to go to both UMass and two for one. <laughs> I'm guessing the, the, the UMass was a two for one. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there is an away game. I'm just saying, what family does he have in Boston? <laughs> right, right, right. We're seeing like, a pattern here, guy. Yeah, that's a good point. Florida, when it schedules a two for one with USF or UCF, you can justify that because it's in your geographical footprint. You can recruit in Tampa. That's a big deal to be able to go and do that. And it makes a little bit of sense. But UMass and Mizzou or you know, having Boston College in Mizzou, it's a head scratcher. It's a head scratcher. It's a good point. It's, it's, we're, I'm glad we're on to you, Mizzou AD. We know you just want some free vacation days up in Boston to see your aunt. Well, hey, maybe. I hear great things about Vermont in the fall. Hear really Facts. good things. Jim Sterk has since stepped down. And I don't know if it was him who originally scheduled that, but whatever. That's enough Mizzou future non-conference scheduling talk for one podcast. Southern Miss, Alabama, 44.5. That is the line for this game. Um, you know, the home team is favored. The over-under is pretty simple. It's one clip of the greatest catch in college football history. Tyrone Pro Throw. 2005, Alabama Southern Miss. Everybody knows it. Catches it off the dude's back. Our guest today, Roman Harper, he was there that day. I should have asked him about it. I don't know why I didn't. That is still, in my opinion, the all-time best slash luckiest catch at any level of football I think I've ever seen. Does that, do you know that clip, like, immediately when I say that? Because you're, yeah. I, I mean, at the yeah. time, you're what, like, 11 <laughs> or 12? Young, yeah, everybody's seen that. I personally like the Crabtree clip. I love that goal mm. line angle of him like throwing the dude off of him and like running into the end zone of his timing spot. The Texas game, the, right? The Texas, yeah, 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 the Texas, yeah. Texas Tech game. That is like my favorite. And that's why I love Mike Leach. That game is why I love Mike Leach. So like personally, that's my favorite, but that one was a little bit before my time. So I think it's definitely a great entry. That's one of those those plays I remember watching on SportsCenter as I guess I would have been I would have been 15 at the time in high school and you kind of think everything is kind of stupid when you're in high school and you're at that age and you're like oh this isn't that impressive and I remember just thinking to myself oh my god 
I don't, I've never seen anything like that before. I don't know if I'll ever see anything quite like that ever again. Alabama was down 21 to 10 in that game before that play. People forget that. And then Alabama scores 20 unanswered in that game. They start off the season nine and oh, with a chance to win the national title mid-November, end up losing to a certain LSU team in overtime, and then they lose in the Iron Bowl as well. Anyway, can you picture if, um, what the panic would be if Alabama was down 11 points to Southern Miss in this one? They won't be. They won't be. Not gonna that's happen. The, that's Angry the statement era, man. I mean, I, I don't want to be like the people forget thing, but like, man, that is, that is, yeah, things used to not be this rosy. So yeah, you gotta appreciate every day of Nick Saban if you're a Bama fan, because it is truly, the thought of that happening right now is mind blowing. Way more likely Alabama's up 21 nothing five minutes into this one. That, exactly. That's, that's fair. The spread is hilarious. It's very funny to see this. Southern Miss is sorry. Brett Favre ain't coming back anytime soon. Brett Favre ain't walking through that door. <laughs> he's not, we know that. They've been outscored 52 to 16 by FBS teams this year. All the questions about Bama's vulnerability, that's gonna have its time and place in SEC play. But as for this one, I expect to see a very focused, motivated Alabama team. Fun thing on the Southern Miss side, Will is an NFL guy, you're gonna appreciate this a lot. Frank Gore Jr. is in this game. He is the leading rusher for Southern Miss. And I know the question that's already popped up in your mind, and you might be looking it up right just now, you will, or people who are listening <laughs> to this. Frank Gore Jr. is not draft eligible until the 2023 NFL draft. Man. So Frank Sr. would be 40, and he's currently not on a roster. So I don't think we're gonna get like some LeBron situation here where LeBron wants to be able to play with his kid. A Little bit tougher to do that as an NFL running back. Not easy. But I think we, um, you know, just never rule out Frank Gore. You know, that's probably something that I should subscribe to. Georgia State and Auburn. Auburn is a 27 and a half point favorite. The over/under I have three and a half mentions of Auburn playing a physical game at Penn State. <laughs> we know we're going to get that. That's coming. Which, look, it was. I'm not. I'm not denying that. And I'm not saying that everyone will be totally fresh. But it's such a play the results thing with that narrative. If Auburn rolls will say afterwards, yeah, you know, you kind of get the bad taste out of their mouths. Of course, they were going to come out, maybe pissed off. And then if they struggle, we assume that it has to be because they're tired and there's no other reason why they'd be struggling. Like when Iowa played against Michigan State 2015 Big Ten Championship, it was this throwback hat on hat game, came down to a goal line run that took three efforts to get in from LJ Scott. And Iowa played in the Rose Bowl three weeks later and then got destroyed by Stanford. And there were actual people saying, well, Iowa left it all on the field against Michigan State, and that game was just so physical. And I'm like, um, or, and hear me out here, they played Christian McCaffrey and they didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of stopping him. That might've also been the case. Anyway. He is good, I'll say it. He is good. People forget that. He was good then, probably been good since he was uh, four years old. So don't think that exactly was established that day. I think we've seen the best version of Auburn. They're great against the run. The secondary can play at a high level and they have this exciting ground game with Tank and Hunter and, and I, I am optimistic about that. And maybe, just maybe, they have a quarterback who isn't going to totally destroy their chances of winning like he once did. Now, I still look at this Auburn team and, and while I came away from that Penn State game being like, hey, they're gonna be able to, I think, keep their head above water in the SEC West. They have their limitations. Their downfield passing game still not very good, but I still kind of came away from that thinking, you know what, that could have been much, much worse. But I don't pick against Sean Elliott's cover of spread. We don't do that here. Forgot nice. to mention, 
on this show, the clip of him headbutting his players. Will, you sent that to me. Yep. And I was like, yep, that is our guy. That that is Sean Elliott through and through. Little worried that Georgia was uh, Georgia State rather was a two and a half point favorite in that opener against Army, and then they lost by thirty three. Not great, but I'll still blindly pick Sean Elliott's team and say that Auburn wins thirty five to ten and isn't able to cover a very big spread, very very big spread in that game. And we'll probably get a few mentions of the officiating uh, last week as well, which. Never, ne- that's never going to be a bad topic of conversation a week removed from a game that everybody was upset. That's when you know it's really bad. When everybody on both sides feel like this was just a travesty and this should never happen again, that's, that's bad football. Can't have that. All right, SEC game, Kentucky. Four and a half point favorite on the road, South Carolina. The over under I have is 267 Will Levis passing yards. That is his average this year. Hmm. No Kentucky quarterback had that all of last year. And this is weird. 267 passing yards was the single game high for Kentucky in both 2018 and 2019. So fun fact there that nobody cared about. The last Kentucky quarterback with that many passing yards in a road game, neighbor Terry Wilson at Mizzou 2018. Great comeback win. Adam Luckett of, uh, of KSR, shout out KSR. He had this, this stat that I thought was fascinating. I had to think about this. My brain was in a pretzel for like a solid 10 minutes. This is only the fourth time that Kentucky has been a road favorite in SEC play under Mark Stoops. Huh. That's, that's nuts. They lost by double digits in two of those three games. Kentucky in their last 10 games is against the spread three, six and one. On the road, that is. All right, that was a terrible way to say that stat. Let me say that stat over. Kentucky is three, six, and one <laughs> against the spread in their last 10 road games. Kentucky was just very bad against Chattanooga. I watched basically all of that game, and I thought the offense looked predictable. They didn't run the ball well at all, and it was a back and forth game, and it was a very pre 2018 Kentucky type of game. I loved, however, the transparency that we got from Liam Cohen. My doppelganger admitted that he got greedy in that game, said he didn't scheme well enough against to, to be able to run the football. He tried to just take too many of these home run shots after the physical game that they played against Mizzou, and he had a, this lack of patience. And that's kind of something that you learn as a first-time play caller, at least in a full-time capacity. And that's the enticing thing at the same time about these chunk plays. They still have to be schemed. And when a defense is defending against that, which Chattanooga did, you can't force it. It's different when you see a linebacker lined up on Wondell Robinson or or somebody is on him in press coverage. We talked about that with Will Levis when he came on. When he saw that play on third and 12, he knows, all right, I can take a shot downfield. And I know that before seeing the way that he gets off the line of scrimmage. Luke Doty on the other side of the ball is going to be the starting quarterback for South Carolina. A little bit of uh, dragging the feet on that, maybe some gamesmanship from Shane Beamer. The depth chart came out. It said Luke Doty or Zeb Noland. I think a lot of South Carolina fans saw that and were like, wait a minute, what? And then Beamer announced that Doty would be the starter. The key to this game is Josh Fan. He has emerged as South Carolina's best receiver. He was the only guy really making plays in the passing game against Georgia. Former four-star guy from Muschamp's 2018 class, kind of been one of these guys that you thought bigger things of him early in his career, just hasn't quite figured it out yet, said that he found that love for football with Shane Beamer and his staff. I think a big play from him goes, goes a long way in this one. And 
Kentucky hasn't really seen a wide out of his caliber on the outside just yet. Also, when is South Carolina going to be able to run the football? I know it's Georgia, so take that for what it is. It's a little bit tough to judge that too much. But two games against FBS competition, this backfield that we talked so highly of in, in, the, in the preseason and even after that opener, two games against FBS competition and South Carolina is averaging 98 rushing yards, less than three yards a carry. You would have to think, though, that now with a couple of games under his belt, Kevin Harris is going to get fed a bit more. He had 210 in that game against Kentucky last year. Mm -hmm. I think South Carolina wins at home. I do. Ooh, okay. Preseason, sticking with it. A lot of upsets today that, I've, that, I, that, I, that I'm calling out here. And some of this stuff is a little bit because of getting some of these home crowds back. And I just think that that's gonna matter on the road. And with a new offense, I think I can see these scenarios in which the communication isn't quite there for Kentucky's side of the ball. I think Kentucky has yet to play 60 minutes and penalties have been an issue. It's been kind of a weird three and O start for them. At home, you can get away with some of that stuff, but first real big time atmosphere at williams Bryce since 2019. And I think that crowd is ready to roll. Shane Beamer gets a big one and he matches Will Muschamp's entire tenure in terms of wins against Kentucky. Will, yeah. you disagree with this one, I know you do. Yeah, I mean, you saying that, that stat about um, him being favored and, and not doing well in those games is actually, I guess, not shocking when you think about it because he is a big time back against the wall coach, right? He's the guy yeah. that's like, nobody out there believes in us, X, Y, and Z, like we're gonna give this great team a run for their money. But yeah, I mean, whenever he is in these situations where he's favored to win, I think that might be when he struggled. And you know, you were talking about their new, you know, stability at quarterback and receiver. I was thinking about it, I was like, dang, like what was the last great receiver Kentucky had that they didn't just turn into a quarterback? <laughs> They did that with Bowden. They did that with Randall Cobb. And it's like, you gotta think like, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of, you love to see that from, if uh, you love to see that from Will Levis because he's stabilized this passing game in a way that hasn't really happened under Stoops. And so uh, it's, it's interesting to think about how successful they've been without that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, even Vandy has had QB stability over the last two years and they've just been able to plug and play and do all these different stuff, all these different things. But yeah, I mean, I said it on, the last part I was on about ECU, it's like I thought the ECU line was disrespectful to South Carolina, and South Carolina barely covered. And so yeah. it's like, I love South Carolina, I love Beamer, I love what they're building, but they're building. You know what I'm saying? And on the other side of that, you know, you got Stoops, who is kind of, he's had all these, I don't even want to say ups and downs, he's kind of had some bumps in the road along the, you know, road to the top of the mountain. But this is one of the most stable offenses he's had, despite, you know, Liam Cohen having not a great game last week against Chattanooga, and things like that start to worry you. But like I said, that's not shocking to me because he's a guy who shows up when people count him out and hopefully he can kind of flip that switch and be like, okay, you know, we need to get this one handled because like we talked about, you know, going into that Florida game, this might be a big time for Kentucky if they can handle business here and then go into next week. I think this is a bounce back game for South Carolina's offensive line. I think at home, they're firing off the ball. I think that defensive line, which has been outstanding with JJ and Agbare, and then you have, you have Birch up front. I think that those guys are flying off the ball. And I think that makes a difference in this one. And, and Kentucky, who we, we talked a lot about, man, they, they have a, a different kind of potential. It's still different when it's on the road. 
Yep. You know, it's still different when you're trying to do that in, in, a, in a place that's going to be as raucous and when that communication needs to be there. And I wonder about Kentucky with some of those pass protection issues, if that surfaces in this one. So yeah, I'll, I'll go with the upset. I'll say that South Carolina wins this one outright. Tennessee, Florida. Florida's a 20 and a half point favorite. The over under I have is 1.5 times the phrase, no moral victories, but is said <laughs> on the broadcast. That's the Dan Mullen slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Not moral victories, but let me tell you why this is a moral victory. Uh, weird way that this played out on the schedule for Florida. You, you've got everyone telling you how great you are after a hard-fought loss. And now you've got your rival, who you've, you've owned for the last five you won against Tennessee, 15 of the last 16. Mm -hmm. But what do we really know about Tennessee? Because we haven't seen Henning Hooker get a start. <laughs> That's they, they all we know. <laughs> they they, they want to run tempo. We know that. that. That's absolutely the case. But I was kind of thinking about this because while I haven't necessarily backed off of preseason takes, a, a lot of preseason takes about Tennessee, I still am in a bit of wait and see mode with, with some of these things because we haven't seen Hendon Hooker get a start against real competition in Heupel's offense. How is he going to air it out? Will his receivers stop dropping passes? We don't even know officially if Hooker is going to start, which sounds strange. Heupel has been playing that kind of coy. As obvious it is, even though it's obvious to me, Heupel obviously loves him some Joe Milton if he's even going with that, that idea in his head. The run defense, though, for Tennessee has been stunningly good with, with Butler and with Barron up front in the, in the front seven. And they're, they're at number nine in the country. I thought this run defense was going to be terrible. I, mm -hmm. I was really low on Tim Banks' defense. That's the key right there, though, because Florida's ground game had a prove-it performance against Bama. If Tennessee's run defense is legit, it'll turn some heads in the swamp. Speaking of turning heads, I have a weird take for you. Okay. Shameless plug, threw this out there on SaturdayOnSouth.com earlier in the week. I actually don't want to see Anthony Richardson in this game. It <laughs> sounds like, look, I know that I, some people are going to hear that and they're going to say, what, what in the world are you talking about? Play the best player. He's electrifying. I, I get all those things. Not denying that. It sounds like he's probably going to be playing based on the way that he's been practicing. And he is still the better player. He's better than Emory Jones. I'm not denying that. But Will, tell me this, though. When was Emory Jones playing his best football? I mean, after Alabama got up big? Exactly. When he knew, even down 21 to three, that Anthony Richardson wasn't gonna come into that game. And for all the people who were skeptical of the way that Dan Mullen talked about Anthony Richardson before the game, he stuck to his guns. And he didn't just say, oh, Emery, Emery's going to, he's going to play until he's, he's not necessarily connecting and we need to bring Anthony Richardson in the game. Anthony Richardson didn't play in that game. And against Alabama, not against USF, not against FAU, we saw the best of Emory Jones so far. He wasn't looking over his shoulder. He played his game and his game is not going five wide and working through slow developing routes in an empty back set. That's Kyle Trax, that's not Emory Jones. It's having an easy target out of the backfield or having a quick hitting target, running a drag, running a slant over the middle and being able to kind of play off that, which Mullen can still scheme. And that's why they were able to still be able to, to, to come back and make that game competitive even though they weren't stretching the field. And that was what we talked about with Matt Hayes on Sunday. I want Anthony Richardson to be healthy all year. So does Dan Mullen. They might not need him for Tennessee, but they're going to need him for, for LSU and Georgia. I, I think that this ends up being a like 
Florida wins this comfortably, but I think Tennessee covers. And I think this is more of like a 31 to 17 type of game instead of Florida is just up 45 to nothing. And it looks like Tennessee is basically uh, not able to do anything on either side of the ball. Do you see this playing out a little bit closer or do you think Florida rolls? It's hard to say because, you know, after a game, I hate to do it, dude. This is exactly what you just did. Wow. I hate to do like the whole like, oh, well, after the big game, you never know how guys are going to come out. But it's one of those things that's like, man, what universe are we living in? Florida's defense has impressed me this year, shockingly. I think that they, I mean, the bar was so low coming into the year. The fact that they were able to limit Alabama the way that they did last week. I don't think that Josh Heupel is, you know, even a better offensive mind than Bill O'Brien at his worst. Uh, we're not, you know, take out, you know, the lanes, the Sarks or whatever. Josh Heupel is a fine offensive mind, but I think that unless Florida's defense is just falling over themselves like they were in 2020, I don't think that tempo is going to scare them after just looking Alabama in the face. Um, yeah, it's, it's very funny that we've just been in, like, limit Anthony Richardson's touches podcast because that's exactly what we said going into last week. It's like, all right, like, he he's obviously, it seems like the future, but the whole thing is the president is Emory Jones. And I, I think you're totally right. It's like not looking over his shoulder and also getting him totally healthy. You know, he, he's been a little bit banged up. But yeah, it seems like this is one of those. It, it would be hilarious. I will be rooting for the chaos that will be, you know, Hypo just beating Dan Mullen outright. But I don't oh, think that would happen. Yeah. I, if that happens, everything that we thought after the Alabama game goes out the window. And yep. that, that's what's easy to, to forget about some of these things is we, we always want to look at losses and say, oh, this is a building block loss. And while I believe that Florida found its offensive identity, it doesn't guarantee that they're going to be able to go out there against Tennessee in a favorable matchup and take care of business in the same sort of way. It just doesn't. It's really difficult predicting what 18 to 22 year olds are going to do. And Thanks. this thing isn't always linear. So that's that's the, the tough part. And as much as we can talk about, oh, this team is playing well right now, that, that can change in, in a hurry. And I don't necessarily think that it changes against Florida or for Florida against Tennessee. I think Florida's still able to run the football. And what we've seen so far from Malik Davis and from Damian Pierce, man, Florida fans just gotta be giddy about that. It's been so encouraging to see this Florida offensive line finally play up to this level. But at the same time, I do think that Tennessee is able to just kind of hang around, just kind of hang around and not be a total doormat in this game. Let me ask you real quick. I know you know, did a whole podcast on this last week, but you know, just quickly, do you think that what you saw out of Florida last week is enough to be worried about the Georgia pick out of the East, or do you think that Georgia is still just far and away better? No, and so Matt Hayes and I disagreed on this, and I've, I've, I've been asked this question a few times this week, but I, I still look at that matchup, and I, I think that Georgia, the way that it is set up, and as long as they can stay relatively healthy in the front seven, I don't know that Florida is going to be able to run the ball against that Georgia front the way they did against Alabama. I just don't, I don't see that playing out. And I think that Georgia, Georgia's still figuring things out from a passing game perspective as well. Mm -hmm. And if Georgia continues to get healthy in the passing game, I'm still taking Georgia as the, as the favorite to not only win the division, but to win the entire SEC. At this point, I'd take them to, to win a neutral site game against anybody in the conference right now, probably anybody in college football. I would take them to, to win. So I didn't necessarily look at that and think all of a sudden now Georgia's going to be on its heels the entire time because 
Good luck running the football against that team. Clemson had right. two rushing yards. Ford's offensive line is way better. Two rushing yards. That is so hilarious. Right. So, like, in modern college football, like you said, we came into the season, we were just like, offense is king, you can do whatever. Two rushing yards. <laughs> anyway. It. Two more than you and I had combined. <laughs> exactly. In the opener. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite willing to go there. Big game. Huge game in the SEC West. Texas A&M is a four and a half point favorite against Arkansas in Dallas, in Jerry World. Speaking of Jerry World, the over-under I have for this one, eight and a half shots of Jerry Jones in his suite. I would probably get more, probably get a little bit more of that. Two a quarter though, is kind of what I, was, what I was thinking about. I'm amazed that he's only 78. He'll be 79 in a couple weeks though. Still, Jerry Jones, not quite 80. I think you'd surprise a lot of people by saying that. The constant reminders of his Arkansas fandom, they'll be on full display. I am, I'm gonna say something a little bold here. I think I am more excited for this game than any other so far. Huh, maybe with the exception of Clemson and Georgia? No, you know what, no, 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 no. I am more excited for this game than any other in college football in 2021, so far. And, I think part of it is because you have two fan bases who have been waiting to feel like this for a while. Where A&M fans, they feel like they're the hunted. Arkansas fans are in this perfect place where you just see the rebuild happening before your eyes and everything kind of feels like gravy at this point. Should be an incredible atmosphere, even for a neutral site game. 3.30 CBS treatment. The last time that Arkansas played at 3.30 on CBS on a Saturday, was 2017 against TCU. This is the first time that this game is gonna be on Saturday, 3.30 CBS since 2014. And 2.30 local time, I realize we're talking to two fan bases who are in central time zone. Good though, because college game day missed out by not being there. They went to Chicago, or they're going to Chicago instead for Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Look, I, I, I love summertime Chicago. I do, I really do. Chicago suburbs, born and raised, I've said that many a time. It's not a college town. And that spaceship of a stadium, Soldier Field, absolutely sucks. <laughs> it's a shame that the McCaskey family built a 20th century stadium in the beginning of the 21st century and not one with a retractable roof like everyone else. But that's beside the point. Look at you now, Connor. You're just trying to go up to Chicago to rip college game the out of Chicago. Look how far you've come with your time is the Look. Look, I get it. You kind of get in those bigger markets. And the New York thing was really cool. Not denying that. And maybe, maybe the atmosphere will be really good. Maybe it will be, but that ain't it. You wanna see a game with some juice, that Arkansas A&M game is gonna have that. And I know some people push back by saying, well, if they're gonna be at Alabama A&M in a couple of weeks for October, that game on October 9th, then that's, that's one thing. But I still, at the same time, all right, you know, they, they've had instances before where they've gone to uh, you know, a, team, a team's game multiple times within a month or something like that. So I don't really think that's a good enough reason. Anyways, this game is awesome. Why is it awesome? Because it is smash mouth, beat you in the trenches football. I love what both of these teams have in the trenches. I can't wait to watch PV Leal Clemens against that Arkansas offensive line. It sounds like Arkansas could be down a couple of starting offensive linemen. They need to protect KJ Jefferson against that front. Kendall Bryles will want to get the ball out of his hands quickly. The challenge, AM is number one in the country in scoring defense and passing defense. The Aggies haven't faced an elite passing defense yet, but they're allowing 77 passing yards a game on 47% passing. Pretty good. Jeez. Antonio Johnson, Leon O'Neal Jr., they have been at an All-American level so far this year. 
but I think they're going to be able to capitalize on a Jefferson mistake or two. So you would hear all that and you would think, okay, so you're going with A&M, right? You're going with the favorite? Not so fast. I think Zach Calzada is put in even tougher spots than KJ Jefferson will be. I think against that Arkansas defense, you had better not turn the ball over because Zach Calzada has been pretty inconsistent there. And the ball security, I have questions about him getting behind the sticks, I think is, is a death sentence for that offense. That's what I think pays dividends for Arkansas. Instead of AM turning to the ground game, they can't really do that because they don't have the offensive line to sort of impose their will the way that they did last year. The Maroon Goons are not at the level that they were in 2020. So instead of being able to rely on that, it's a real grind for AM to get points. I think Calzada forces some throws and Arkansas maybe flips the field. They get short fields, they wear down the AM defense, who has surprisingly been kind of meh against the run. Only number 88 in FBS through three games. Arkansas wins against AM for the first time in a decade. The Hogs move into the top 10. Sam Pittman hype train, it keeps rolling along. Will, how high are you on the Hogs right now? Very high on the Hawks. I, uh, you know, big, big couple of weeks for these bold and brash takes. We had somebody say that Kentucky was going to start off 6-0. Uh, they're on pace to do that. They haven't lost yet. And the other one was that Arkansas was going to beat A&M for the first time in the SEC. And, uh, yeah, that's looking great right now, man. I mean, Arkansas, you know, uh, you got me on board with them beating Texas. Boy, were you right about that. They are just a fun, physical team. Love KJ Jefferson and Sam Pittman, two thick kings that deserve the world. I mean, you know, you, you've seen, like A&M is that team, I think we're starting to realize this year that, you know, there always needs to be a villain in the SEC. And we're kind of getting tired of it being Bama because it's just not fun to root against Bama because they keep winning. A&M seems to be that team that it's like, oh, you guys were like kind of hyped coming into the year, you know, struggling against Colorado. Now you got your quarterback down. Like this is a compelling, you know, this is a compelling storyline so yeah I mean based on how Arkansas has played it's one of those things that's like if you just took the logos off of these teams and just put their tape on you would think yeah. Arkansas was the better team you know what I'm saying like if you took out all the salaries and the names and their recruits and all this stuff so based on that I, I gotta feel like if Arkansas believes they belong in the game that's the biggest thing and I think they will I really do. And look, I like AM a lot. And I've said that many times. I think that that I was higher on AM coming into this year than than the general consensus was. And I'm I'm a believer, especially at what they have at the skill positions, and I love the defensive line and just the defense as a whole. But I think Arkansas wins a low, low scoring game, <laughs> maybe like a, a 21 to 17 type of game. And this is another moment in which you realize. Sam Pittman has that thing rolling in the right sort of way. Shameless plug, I had a story on Saturday Down South uh, about the original takes for when Sam Pittman was hired. And that included my own, by the way, I included myself. I didn't just- Were you anti-Sam Pittman? No, so I called myself out for a couple of things. I had an original tweet when Chad, the day Chad Morris was fired, November 10th, 2019, day that will live in What's the opposite of infamy? For me. For me. Um, so I, I had the original tweet of who in the world is going to take that job? Which was a fair question, given the rebuild and what we thought was ahead for whoever signed up for that. Now, where I was wrong and where I kind of called myself out afterwards, because the search process took a while and it was, it was criticized heavily, the fact that they weren't able to get some big time name and it wasn't Kiffin, it wasn't Leach or something like that. But 
originally when I had to rank the hires in the SEC, and that included new coordinators or head coaches on the move in the SEC. And at the time I did this in like the second week of December, I ranked the number one hire as Kiffin to Ole Miss, which that is held up. And number six, which was dead last on this list was Chad Morris to Auburn. So I wasn't technically wrong about that. <laughs> Where I was wrong was I had Pittman, I drink it was at five and then I had Pittman at four. And what I had at three was Matt Luke getting the offensive line job, the one that Sam Pittman left at Georgia. And that, in hindsight, was really dumb. Um, <laughs> did not necessarily think that one through in the way that I probably should have. And I had Mike Bobo as South Carolina's new offensive coordinator number two. So not the best. And look, I called myself out. I called myself out on that. But I also did say, and I hedged a bit by saying, Arkansas is trying to follow what LSU did. It's very simple. It's, it doesn't matter that, that Sam Pittman doesn't have this great background as a coordinator, as, as this guy who's calling plays, and it doesn't matter that he didn't come in here as, as, a, as a former FBS head coach. It, it's, gonna be a, it's gonna take a different type of person to accept the challenges ahead. And if he can do that, and if he can continue what he's done to build himself up as a recruiter in the Southeast, then he's gonna have a chance to be able to do this and he might be the right fit culturally. And sure enough, that's what he is. Now, there are other people who saw this and you know, there are the Stuart Mandels, the Brandon Walkers of the world, and Arkansas fans know this. I'm not necessarily breaking news, but let's just say they had their fun with it. And they were you know, kind of saying that this was a, a bit of a ridiculous hire. Dan Wolkin said that the, the coaching search was totally messed up, which I always take Dan Wilkins' opinions on coaching searches very seriously, and I always love seeing what he says to John Curry. So that's very important, of course. But that's a pro independent colleague. <laughs> right? It was interesting kind of looking back on that and seeing the people, there were plenty of people who were positive and that's what I kind of omitted in my brain was all the people who were positive about Pittman and about what he could potentially do and a lot of former players were on board. So that was, I thought just kind of interesting and fun to be able to look back on. So go check that out if you get some time. Um, lock of the week. Thank you, Cincinnati. Never a doubt. <laughs> Even after that horrendous start, I know my alma mater well. And Indiana was never winning that football game. It was not going to happen. It just wasn't. Three and one in lock of the week this year, about to be four and one, and here's why. Iowa is a 23 and a half point favorite against Colorado State. Like top five Iowa, the team who has been lights out defensively against a Colorado State team who was stymied by Vandy and South Dakota State. What am I missing here? 23 and a half is not enough. Right. Not enough for how sorry Colorado State is. Iowa could could easily win this game 20 to 3, 42 to nothing, and, and they'd cover with, without any sort of hesitation. I, I think there are a lot of people thinking, sleepy start maybe. That was kind of last week, the hangover game against Kent State, where they get off to a little bit of a slow start. They still won that game 30 to seven. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit confused on that line. Um, maybe I'll end up looking like an idiot on that one in Colorado State with Steve Adazio is gonna somehow cover, but I just do not see it. Vandy broke Colorado State, I think, even though Colorado State won a week later, whatever. Steve Adazio is gonna be screaming in that press conference, see, we covered, say something yeah. nice. Yeah. Steve Adazio, if your team covers, I'll say something maybe a little bit nice about you next week, but I'll think long and hard about that. All right, let's go to Roman Harper. If you've watched SEC Network for the last two years, you've seen Roman, great to be able to get him on, someone I've been wanting to talk to for a while now. So here is Roman Harper. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is SEC Network's Roman Harper. Roman, you definitely don't remember this, but I met you very briefly at SEC Media Days. 
And, you know, it was at the time that I think I was interviewing, oh yeah, I was interviewing Peter Burns and that was the first time that I had ever seen you in person before. And I'm pretty sure I even said something mid podcast that you were a physical specimen in hindsight, a little weird on my part, <laughs> but I stand by my take that you're a former player who still looks conditioned like a current player. What's the workout re regimen like for you these days? Oh man, I try, I try and hit the gym three or four times a week, man. Um, COVID kind of helped because my wife would not let me go to the gym. I was getting angry and I got to take out my frustrations and I don't get to hit people or tackle people anymore. So the weight room is where I do it. Um, and so I actually end up putting a home gym in my garage and then I got a neighbor who I work out with a couple times a week. So at least at minimum three times a week, I like to get four or five in if I can, but, and that's including cardio and abs. So I don't know, man. It just It's part of my thing just because it keeps me sane. If I'm not using my energy somewhere, then I'm probably not doing it right. So it's just part of my my mind, my, my psycho. It's just, you know, I got to hit, I got to lift weights. And not only that, but I like to lift heavy weights still. So it's good to, uh, to be pushing myself still, almost getting close to 40. Next year, I'll be 40. Wait, all right, two-part question then. One, do you have the squat rack? And two, you say heavy weights. What, what, kind of, what kind of weights are we talking about here? Because I know a lot of guys say that once they stop playing, they like to kind of dial it back a little bit. It's more higher rep stuff, hypertrophy. But are we getting into like, you know, you're, you're sitting there deadlifting 500 pounds still? Or is, like, is it still a little bit, you know, a little bit dialed back compared to what you used to do? So it probably is a little dialed back, but I... Uh, yes, and number one, I do have a squat rack, and I do squat. I, I love I love doing squats. I'm actually trying to get get my squat numbers back up to the 400. So, you know, I, I I'm typically I squat once a week, put the weight on my back. I'm, I'm usually hitting 365 for three or four or five times, and then I'm trying to slowly work my way back up. So, uh, you know, I'm getting there, and I still bench press 315 a few times. You know, every so often, every couple weeks, and that was a big thing for me on Fridays when I would play when I was playing in the, during the season. So whatever week of the season it was, that's how many times I would try and rep out 315. Of course, I never got, you know, as high as like 12, 13, any of that thing. I think the highest number I got to was nine one time. So um, it, it happens, man. You just kind of get the juices flowing and it's a good thing. It's a competition, but I like to, you know, make sure my arms are always looking right and my abs are still in point. So it, it's all, look, man, this is all selfishly looking at myself in the mirror. Nobody else gets to look at this. My wife looks at me. She doesn't even pay attention. So it's not like I'm doing it for her. So, it's, you know, she could care less. She wants me to get a dad bod. So then she doesn't feel bad about her not always working out. So I, I do what I need to do just to keep myself happy. When you when you retired at age 34, did you give yourself two weeks to just say, screw it, I'm going to eat what I want and I'm not going to work out because it doesn't seem like you're wired that way? Oh, man, dude, first of all, yeah, first of all, I eat whatever I want all the time. So I'm not a I'm not a good eater. I'm not I've never been that person. I'm all I'm naturally smaller than where I played football at. So I had to overeat to keep the weight up to where I was. And now that I'm not playing, I'm I'm down to like 198, 201, somewhere around there. And I kind of float between there. And also, you know, when I retired, I took four days, two weeks, no. I took 365 days and did absolutely nothing. I said I was wow. going to completely decompress. I wasn't going to do anything. 
I worked out some, yes, I, and I would go to my wife's trainer with her sometimes, and we would do workouts and things like that. But I, I took 365 days, and I didn't do anything. So, And if I didn't do it that day, I would just do it the next day because that was my schedule and that was my mindset for a whole year. Then I started to climb out of my cave and like, all right, what do I truly, truly want to do? Some things that want to inspire me. I didn't want to just say I was working or getting a job just to work, but I want to still uh, have passion in something that I'm doing because my whole life, you know, I played football and it never felt like a job. That's because I loved doing what I was doing. So I wanted to have some kind of, you know, something in that vein. And I was afforded time because I had the money. So I wasn't like I needed to, to go get money right now. I, I want to get to kind of your roots in broadcasting and all that stuff and kind of how you came into this role and, and such an atypical time to come into it too during COVID last year in 2020, the, the way that you had to start off. But I, I've always wanted to know this with you. I, I remember those commercials for the hair coloring products for men that would say something like, want to touch a gray to look professional, but not ancient? You, sir have the best of both worlds because like we said, you're built like an athlete still and you've been rocking the salt and pepper look forever. And I have always respected that. I'm of the belief that we need to, as a society, just lean into the grays forever. And I'm so glad that you never did the Carlos Boozer thing with the jet black dye stuff that everybody just rips on anyways. When did you decide to sort of embrace that look and just say, you know what, I got grays while I'm playing, I don't really care. So mine was, all right, well, if you've known me, then I've had gray hair. I got my first gray hair when I was in like eighth grade. So I grew what? up in high school and everything else. Yeah, I've had gray hair since I was like young. So for me, it's not like I'm putting on or I'm trying to do anything. So my thing was I'll never dye it because the moment I dye my hair, everybody's like, oh, you changed. Oh, Roman, you know, he got big time. He changed on this and he's this. Because everybody that knew me since I was in high school and before, I had I was like young with a little bit of gray hair. It just was normal. And I've just continued to grow and grow, and I've actually, you know, aged into my look, I would say. So, um, and you're right. You know, everybody else, you know, they sell that Just For Men, Touch Your Gray, all that other stuff. And I'm like, dude, I get it. I get it for free, what they sell in the bottle, and I've had it for so long. <laughs> and that's also why I'm, I'm like, you know, I, this year I'm, I'm wearing a beard which I never worn a beard before either, but all of a sudden I, I started growing it in this, this summer, not really shaving because I didn't need a haircut. And I got all this gray in my beard out of nowhere this year, and it seems like gray is kind of in. At least that's what some people have been telling me. So I'm like, all right, I'll just rock a gray beard for a season, see how it is, and maybe I'll cut it at the end of the season or, or sometime later on in the year. But I, I'm just taking it day by day. I don't really think that much out of it. I asked my wife. She kind of likes a beard. I don't know why women are all of a sudden into a beard. It, you know, it's phases. You know, people like beards and some years they don't. So I'm kind of like stuck in the middle. I'm just trying to appease myself and kind of keep it rolling. But I'm not going to dye my hair. I, I like I said, I, I think that is the way to go. I have my, my wife. She wants me to get gray hair. It's like she's like, you know, if you if you wanted to dye your hair gray, I wouldn't stop you. Like she's she's of that mindset. And I'm, I'm sitting here at 31 going, I got a little bit of time, but I'm I'm going to lean into it as well. You have, you've taught taught plenty of men out there that it's a that gray is the way to look, go. brother. It's a, it's a distinguished look, bro. That like for real, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. 
you you now being in this role on TV where you go from the the, the player side and you did stuff in, in Charlotte with the local station there and I know you did stuff in New Orleans and I'm sure you were kind of told that throughout your career of like hey you know when your time is done on the field you're going to be able to talk about this for a living and, and you fit in so natural especially with the SEC network crew and we, we've had all those people on and and it's it's you know one thing to kind of go from that transition to to being a player into the broadcast world but to then have to kind of be critical I think that's the step that sometimes people can overlook on the outside world was that a struggle for you at all to actually like sit there and be like oh I have to like turn around and be critical of maybe the school that I went to or guys that I just played with oh yeah for sure so my first year I'll give you a great example um my first year um I was working with the New Orleans Saints and I was doing the Saints on six and and um you know they were coming back from the 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 what do they call it the the miracle of Minnesota whatever that last play is where Diggs makes the one play Marcus Williams misses him and you know what what I should have did was shredded Marcus Williams but I did not I took it a little bit easier on him you know I kind of changed the subject and, and tiptoed around it when I should just like hit it dead on and move on because at the end of the day me playing safety I can honestly say I've never seen anybody make like a worse play it it was really bad. All you had to do was tackle the guy or push him out of bounds, and the game was over. But you did, like, complete opposite and ducked your head, and I don't even know how what happened, right? So, um, so, but then from there, talking to one of my, my good friends, and, you know, I look up to him as kind of like a mentor, even though I would never tell him that, but Jonathan Vilma's like, dude, look, if you want to do this, like, you got to, sh- like, that play, you got to call it. And don't be afraid of it because – at the end of the day, if you're, you, you, as long as you're critical but fair, just be fair. That's all it's all about. And as long as, it, you know, and for me, now that I'm watching a lot more tape, I'm studying the film, I know what I see because ball doesn't change in my eyes. I, I know how much what ball is supposed to look like. I've played so many snaps and things of that nature. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. So as long as I stick to what I know and what I see, then I don't feel bad. Also, in the in the college game, it's less personal. You talk about more of the team aspect. You, to, you, you talk about how they're doing as a team, as a defense, as an offense. Not so much individual where I'm attacking each individual player because they are amateurs. I do understand that. But still, they do have they do mess it up, and I try and keep it in the lane of you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. I don't like really blaming the players most of the time because players want to be better. They want to do the right thing naturally. So if you're coaching them a certain way, which some schemes in college are just awful, but I, I'm not their coaches. I just see what I see, and I just call a spade a spade. Okay, so, yeah, I, I watch that Alabama defense, and I say – they have some issues that they need to be able to, to figure out. And and part of that is, look, not everybody's going to be able to replicate what Dan Mullen did. But at the same time, you know, we, we see the the plays when you break it down and they're not getting the push up front. And it looks like Henry Toto is missing every single tackle. From, from your standpoint, is that something that another team can do? Like Ole Miss, Arkansas, A&M, are they looking at that blueprint that Dan Mullen just executed and saying, hey, we can do this? Is one of those teams now positioned to be able to beat Alabama in a 60-minute game? Yes. Ole Miss. Yes. Hmm. And look, that's why Nick Saban's been going crazy every week in the media and on his press conferences because he understands that he's trying to fight against what everybody's feeding his team, which is telling him how great they are when he sees the small details. And 
Football is a game about the details, especially defensively, because you don't have to be always athletically as gifted to play good, solid defense. If everybody's in their gap, everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, it allows you to play better defensively. Now, some of the one-on-one matchups, you may lose those because you're not at, they're better athlete and they just sometimes make a play. That's cool. You understand that. That means they just beat you. But when you don't do the little things right every play, you don't give yourself a chance to win. And when you got a great play caller like Dan Mullen, he did a great job of really flooding the zone, bringing a fourth receiver into some of the defenses, some of the areas, and creating matchups, you know, tight ends leaking out late, running back, bringing guys back under, things like that. They did a great job of really dialing it up. And Dan Mullen understands they played against Nick Saban. And Saban's defense doesn't change it. It really hasn't changed a lot over the years. So uh, understanding that and really just trying to be better about it. But that's why Nick's so angry all the time because it's all about the details. And when you don't do the little things right every time, you know, nobody wants to talk about the little things because nobody they're little, right? They're, oh, that's just nothing. Nobody wants to talk about the left guard and the center in the, in the, in the uh, punt formation, all right, how they have to switch off the blocks. If, if the, the guard's man comes and tries to pick the center and the center's man goes back across, Nobody talks about how much of a play that is and the little details of how you're supposed to pick, switch that pick off until the punt gets blocked. Then we want to talk about it and point it out. But those are the small details in football that nobody ever wants to cover or talk about until it's a big thing. The same way you never see a kickoff return on a highlight tape until somebody houses it. That's just what it is. We don't have time to discuss the little details. Well, Nick Saban's a detail-oriented guy, and he harps on those things every single day. And when you see it being done in practice, and you're like, oh, coach, I got it. I'm going to get it in the game. And he's like, no, you're not. You're not going to get it in the game because you're not doing it right in practice. And when your cornerbacks are not in position to play the ball, they're not going to be in position in the game to play the ball better either. And when you're not – and when the defensive end has the quarterback in the option play, but he goes down, line, down the line chasing some running back that's not even there, and now the linebacker has to go quarterback to pitch, that is why you get – seven yards on a run instead of three yards on a run. So it's those little plays consistently over and over and over again that Alabama has to get corrected. And sometimes, luckily, luckily for them, they're able to correct it after a win and they're not heartbroken after a loss because of these details. So you think Ole Miss beats Alabama? I did not say that. I did (laughs) think Ole Miss is definitely a threat. Ole Miss is playing better. i just be honest, flat out with you. Yeah. Ole Miss is playing better, and I, I, they've not beaten a team like Florida, like Alabama did. So you give Alabama a lot of credit for that. You do. All right, you tip your hat to them. They won the game. And championship caliber that they fin- they stood up at the end of the game and made the play that they had to make to win it. And Ole Miss is playing with a sense of confidence. They got Matt Corral, who's a savvy vet, who's going to make all the throws, and they got an offense that can score at a high, high rate. And their defense is playing better. And the teams that Ole Miss has played, they've made them look really bad. So you got to give tip your hat to Ole Miss as well. I'm looking forward to it. I would give Alabama the edge purely because it's at home. And that's the only reason. That was a little trick, as you know, in this business, you know, <laughs> the headline trick. You made headlines a couple months ago with your guy, Jalen Catalan, who you dubbed the best safety in, in college football. 
And, you know, I'd argue he's already living up to that billing. And he's somebody that you watch him and you see this sort of throwback style with the way that he still hits people in the mouth. And I, I think he's the key guy to confuse Zach Calzada in that matchup this weekend with AM. And maybe he makes a couple of game-changing plays and that's kind of the difference. I know you said in the preseason that you thought AM would be favored in every game, that probably including Alabama, but that probably changes with a backup quarterback. How do you see Arkansas AM playing out this weekend? You know, I, I I can't wait to watch this game because I love the way Arkansas plays defense. And Sam Pittman, Barry Odom, what those guys have built there. Um, you you really got to give them, and also Coach Browse on offense, the coordinator, give them a lot of credit for what they're doing. And the way that they use Jalen Catalan right there in the middle, it's like this three-safety look, but it allows him to play man. He plays zone. He stops the – I mean, he's flying around. And he plays at a different speed than everybody else. It's something to be said when you're watching tape and you're playing against other D1 athletes, and he just looks faster. He's getting to the ball faster. He's playing at another speed. That is why I love him so much. But Texas A&M is really struggling blocking people. Mm-hmm. They're not blocking people well. Up front, they're just – they're not getting it done like they did last year. And you, you understand it because they're – you know, they had to replace three or four out of their starters – and well, three or four of their starters from last year's offensive line, but they just have to be better. And Jimbo's trying to figure out how can they do it. Luckily, they have a, a, a one of the top defenses in all the country of A&M because they brought back so many starters. And Leal is really good. I like Leon O'Neill as a safety as well. They also have two veteran corners. So Texas A&M has some players. And, and defensively, they're really good. So this is going to be a defensive battle. I don't expect this to be very high scoring. You know, this would be 20 to 17 would be a great game. And it's going to be a lot of big hits and a lot of lumber being laid out there on the field. I I think this game is going to be played in Arlington too. So there's no telling how this game could go. Um, There is no real home field advantage. Uh, I'm just, I think Arkansas is playing better right now. Texas A&M put on a good game last week, but is that truly, truly who they are? versus Arkansas, who I'll, sometimes I'll take the team that's playing above their level versus the team that's not living up to the hype. I would take the team that's playing hotter and feeling better about where they're at right now. I agree with you. Like it happens for, for the first time in a decade, Arkansas is able to win in that rivalry. You were part of a, of a rebuild at Alabama, different circumstances, of course, but you had the, the Dennis Francione fallout, all of that. I bring that up because there are rebuilds and then there's what Sam Pittman has done at Arkansas. What's the secret sauce to a rebuild? Because we hear the cliches, buying into culture, but is it as simple as having a coach that guys legitimately want to play for and they believe what he's saying when words come out of his mouth? Yes, I think that does have a lot to do with it. But it's, it's also about having a sense of pride in yourself and in your duty and your work and your job, enjoying being around your teammates. Arkansas, they like being there. Every player, it's not like they're looking to transfer. Transfer portal when I'm not playing. Like You're not hearing that from these certain programs that are actually enjoying the environment, the, the chemistry and everybody that's there. Yes, you're going to have some older guys go just because, you know, at this point they're not going to be able to play and their dream is to play college football. So you understand those transfers. But when you have guys that all of a sudden, oh, I just didn't get the job and now I'm leaving or I'm not mad about this, you don't hear that from certain programs. Arkansas is one of those programs right now where you don't hear about anybody in the transfer portal. And that's just because the environment is conducive. They're winning now. 
And when they weren't winning last year, it felt like the program was heading in the right way. The Sam Pittman is saying all the right things. They're recruiting at a better level. And they got some veteran guys. They got a lot of six-year guys that came back on defense this year that's really paying off for them. They've been around football for a while. They've made a lot of plays. They like playing together on defense and on offense. You can tell this team has great chemistry. They vibe for each other. And even a, a very, very important thing that I saw was the very first week, K.J. Jefferson really struggled versus Rice early in the season. He just didn't play great that first game. And instead of a quarterback controversy or, or Sam Pittman saying, oh, we got to do this, 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 immediately he said, look, K.J. was his first time real starting versus another team right now. He was anxious. He made some throws he probably shouldn't have played. He can play better, but he's our guy. There is no question mark. We're going to go, and we're rolling with these guys. So when your coach is instilling this confidence in all of his players, because he's not doing that just for K.J., he's doing that for everybody. Yeah. you know. And when your coach has your back, it's a certain sense of pride to say, man, he believes in me. Like I'm willing to do a little bit more for him as well. Like, you know, as a leader – you know, you can't be called or considered a leader if you don't have anybody following you. And these players are following Sam Pittman. They're following his lead because and people are willing to do a little bit more when they understand that you love them or that you love those players that you're leading or you love the people that are leaving. Not You don't have to be in love with them, but you got to have their back. And they're willing to do just a little bit more because of that. South Carolina fans are sort of hoping to follow a similar model to the Arkansas one. I had Shane Beamer on uh, during the offseason, and rarely do I sort of get it after talking to someone, and I got it with him. <laughs> what, are, what are your impressions of kind of him so far in his attempt at a rebuild? The same thing. He's never, he's never won a battle at a podium. He's never lost it. He, he's won every single podium that he's ever got in front of. Every media opportunity, he's won that. And he's, everybody's a fan of him. And for that reason, you believe in what he's telling you. And he, you believe that South Carolina is going to be in, back in the right position or at least trending in the, right, in the right direction. Now, they just got their butts whooped against Georgia, which they won't be the first team or the last team that gets whooped by Georgia this year. So, um, and even after that, you know, they asked him about the press conference and he made headlines again just because he's talking about all the five stars. Like, dude, what do you want me to do? You know, like, they got him everywhere. Like, like, what are you talking about? He was like, and everybody loves it. So I'm like, even after a win, even after a loss, Shane Beamer still wins. So you like where the coach is at. I like where they're at ment- mentally. Uh, they're going to start, they're going to put back in Luke Doty at quarterback. He gives them a little bit more juice in the run game, but it, I mean, I, it's just, South Carolina, you know, if they were to win six games this year, it was going to be a great year. Um, and you just kind of, kind of figure out how they're going to do it from here. As long as they're competing, they seem like they're fighting. That was a great win from the early in the year to be able to come back against ECU. To, that was a game that they wouldn't have won last year. And they wouldn't have won it two years ago either. But so when you're doing those things, it's just stacking and building pride. So now we can say, hey, it's, it's a lot easier to say, coach, we can achieve something or the players, we can achieve something because we've done it before. You know, so you just you just go back and point at this. Hey, we came back here. We were able to accomplish these things. And so that's all it is. You're just trying to build a, a certain type of sense of pride in the program. Roman, you had to say nice things about South Carolina because you'll be in Columbia this weekend for Kentucky, South Carolina. Have, have you juggled that at all? 
<laughs> have you have you is that difficult though because sometimes like you know if we're watching college game beer or something like that lee corso puts on the big head and, and my wife is like oh of course he's going to put on the home team's you know the, the mascot head or whatever he just wants to be loved by the crowd and all that but you know doing sec nation on campuses this year as opposed to doing it remotely last year with, with covid and everything like you sort of have to feed off the energy of the crowd you you seem like a guy who's really well built for that and you can't be a wet blanket has has that been a difficult transition or is this kind of been like 2021 you feel like this is exactly kind of what you signed up for no this is exactly what i've signed up for and i'm excited about it last week you know being an alabama guy in gainesville that's my first time in gainesville as well great time great atmosphere yeah and you know immediately as soon as i come out on the stage i'm out there at seven o'clock before i do my sports center hit and i got this guy talking trash and he's like you know talking about how alabama was not good how many rings do I have? And y'all can't claim Alabama's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, dude, like, I talking trash to fans is like what I do. So I'm <laughs> used to it, and I, I feed off of it. So I'm giving it to him right back. And I'm like, for, I mean, I didn't even want to shine on him, but immediately I was like, dude, I got I got the real ring. I got like a Super Bowl ring. And he's like trying to question me. I'm like, look, last time I played for it, and we smacked him. And then he acted like he didn't remember when that happened either. So it was all the then you know it's bad when your own fans are like jumping on your own people. They're like, dude, like you lost, like shut up. <laughs> so it, it's kind of fun, and it, I like playing the villain in away crowds. I like hearing the booze. I like hearing all that stuff. I actually feed off that more than just all the yays. It's it, it's. It's a lot more fun to win on the road sometimes than it is in a hostile environment. Those are always the wins that I cherish a lot more as a player than the ones that you got at home. And winning on the road is something about it. And I really got that edge about me playing for Sean Payton because Sean loved going on the road and getting big wins. He loved to go up to Philly and make the crowd boo by halftime. He loved, you know, if we were having a big road win, You know, hey, instead of flying, going straight back, let's do another lap in the air and we all chug a beer or something. We love doing a couple circles around the stadium of the away team just to shine just a little bit more. Just taking pride in going on the road somewhere and winning a big game. There's no better feeling. You got to flex a little bit, right? You got to. They're hard to come around. Yes, exactly. Is this kind of where you see yourself long term in this in this analyst role going to do SEC Nation as well? Or would you ever want to get into coaching? Because I'm pretty sure and I'm not positive on this, but if you said that you wanted to be Alabama's defensive coordinator, Alabama fans would sign a petition to get Pete Golding fired. That would have like a million signatures by the end of, I don't know, like this sentence. <laughs> oh, man, I, I'm not ready to be a coach. I know that for sure. I want to be around my family a little bit more. My dad was a coach. I understand the time commitments of it. And uh, I'm really, really enjoying this analyst role. I don't know if I'll be in the SEC, like on SEC Nation forever. You know, like sometimes like nature runs its course. But um, I'm definitely enjoying where I'm at. I I really enjoy the college space. But, you know, you you got to have goals too. So, you know, of course I want to move up. Of course I want to do more and more. And I want to, you know, I'm so new at this still. I'm, I'm still just getting my feet wet. And uh, this is my first year traveling. And I want to continue to be the best version of myself. I think that was one thing that I have tried to learn is that, you know, with this whole analyst role, I'm not just Roman Harper, the football player. Like, that was a chapter in my life. But now I'm Roman Harper, the analyst. And what is the best version of that, Roman? Like, how do I be the best 
me. And uh, and the best thing that I've learned is that I don't have to be anybody else. I can just be myself and just know who I am because if I am, I, I come off as the guy that you just want to have a beer with on, you know, like, I kind of like that guy. He seems like he just, I'd like to have a beer with that guy at a bar. And I, I typically am that guy. So it's easy. Yeah. You got to have goals. Like, you know, just squat 400 pounds. Just these are the important <laughs> things that we need to be able to, to strive towards. Um, I want to get you out of here with, with five rapid fire questions. Just first thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? I'm ready. Perfect. All right. First one, packed Bryant Denny or packed Superdome. What's the better atmosphere? Oh, I, I would say pack Superdome because they sell alcohol and, and, and better food overall. <laughs> I would go with that. More expensive, your sneaker collection or Jordan Rogers hair products? Oh, I got a lot of shoes. I'm going to go with my shoes it, just because, but Jordan's hair is like immaculate. Yeah, you thought yeah, about it. <laughs> I, I've, seen it I've seen him at makeup. I've seen the hair. <laughs> Uh, when Sam Bradford ran you down that one time and they put you on blast on Come On Man, um, you could tell us now because you're not playing through this, but what injury were you kind of working through at the time? Uh, nothing. I was just really tired. It was a 15-play drive, and the play didn't even count. So I was like, dude, it's not my job to score touchdowns. I'll just run out of bounds. I was like, I'm straight. I really was. I was just tired. Um, I hated the way that they, they show you with the oxygen mask right afterwards with the clip. And it's like, and my, we, gray hair, my gray hair was on 4K at the time. Yeah, it was like, dude, totally. How many targeting penalties? Great story, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that clip still, I, every once in a while, it'll resurface. And we're like, all right, come on. We could, we could, we could add some, a little bit of context to this. Um, how many targeting penalties would you average in today's college game the way that it's being called? Oh. I mean, I wouldn't be able to play because I'd be kicked out of like seven out of the ten games that I played. It was I, I hate the targeting rule. I I'm so over it. It just makes me furious every single time because they first of all they don't throw it on the offense when the offense goes down and they bury their head. The first thing they do when they get close to getting contact, that's what they do. And then as a defender, you have as a defensive guy. You are taught you have to defend every blade of grass. It's a game of inches. All these sayings, right? They're not just sayings. They measure the ball for a reason. Like, it's a reason why they bring out the chains and they measure it. Because it's a game of inches for first downs. And when I saw that play, like, Jacoby McClain for the linebacker of oh. Auburn, you know, the Penn State guy was about to stretch out for a touchdown. So you want me to just let him score? It's crazy. And then you penalize the kid. You kick him out of the game. Now he misses the first half of the next game, which is another big game. So it's another time to devalue the kid on top of you punishing the kid. And we don't even punish professionals as much as as harsh as we do amateur athletes. There's no other infraction in any other sport that costs the amateur athlete more than a professional. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. They if, Look, and I'll give you the answer for it. Just treat it like a high school technical foul. All right, you get two of them and then you're out. But stop just kicking the kids out for mistakes that really aren't even mistakes. They're fast, fast decisions that are being made and you want me to try and change my angle or my last second hitting point and you can't do that. You just can't do it. The game is played way too fast and it's too reckless. It's a violent game and you're trying to ask people to not do these things and it makes no sense to me. But I mean, I'm just an analyst. I don't make these decisions. I'm sorry. But 
the more you bring it up, the more I go on tangents about it because I really get pissed off. It seems so simple. It's, oh, gosh, sooner or later. And I don't even want to wait till after the season. They need to do it right now because it's not just me and you complaining about it. Everybody's complaining about it. The fans, the people that are watching, the parents, because their kids are out of the game. It just makes no sense. So uh, NCAA needs to stop being, like, sitting behind all these, like, dinosaur-type rules. That's the same reason why NIL is completely going to go crazy now is because they, they act like they can't do anything. When just go out there and do it right now. Stop waiting on it. Agreed, 100%. Last one I'll get you out on. Um, most difficult question yet, of course. Bama or the field to win the SEC? Which side do you want? Oh, I, I mean, Georgia's in the field. I'm taking the field right now. I'm telling you. Georgia looks scary good. Imagine if they actually figure out their offense consistently. Just imagine. Georgia to They're win a national, national championship? Are you, are you of the impression the 1980 jokes are, are coming to an end this year? Uh, now, you didn't say all that. You said SEC, <laughs> Alabama or the field. I took the field because just the odds give me a better winning chance to take the field. So I'm going to take the field because I think Georgia is scary good. Scary Agreed. good. Agreed, 100%. Roman, this has been really, really great. Appreciate the time. I uh, want to wish you the best of luck that uh, to everything that you've got going on this year. We're going to have to do this again real soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Great time to bring back bold and brash. Maybe a better idea we have of who everyone in the SEC is as a result of this, because we're now going to have four games under our belts for everybody except Ole Miss and the SEC. I think I'm going to do power rankings on Sunday's pod. A little tease for that. Might not hit on a lot of Auburn and Alabama stuff because they're not playing Power Five competition. So you know what? The, yeah, that's what we'll do on Sunday's pod. We're gonna we're gonna do some power rankings now that we have four games to be able to actually figure out what a team looks like. Everybody always says preseason rankings are stupid. Well, yeah, preseason power rankings maybe a little bit stupid as well. Now that we have actual football to to base this on. Will, do you have any bold and brash takes for this weekend? Maybe LSU looks competent against the Power Five football team. Boy. Would that be bold? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think Arkansas is a big one. I don't want to get too far on the limb and just be Mr. Takes, but I, I do like Arkansas a lot. Hopefully, like, I hate to every time I buy it on LSU, they disappoint me, but stop me, Connor. As each day goes on, I feel a little bit better about this game. All right, All right. there we go. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of Arkansas takes in the Facebook group. Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. If you have not joined that yet, you absolutely should. Thank you to everybody who contributed to it. So many very bold and brash takes, and especially about Tennessee. Tennessee fans, I think, are feeling feeling pretty good right now, or maybe people are just trying to build up Tennessee fans. I don't know, but we'll get to it right now. Tristan Smith, the obvious one, Tennessee beats Florida. If you want it extra spicy, I'll say by 10 points. A little Texas Pete on that bold and brash prediction. If Tennessee beats Florida by 10 points, the conversation about Dan Mullen is going to take a sharp left turn. Sharp left turn. You can't be that guy. You can't be that guy. And I think some of the skepticism with McIlwain may be a little bit rooted in losing to Tennessee. And when you're when you're the guy who you know loses Tennessee for the first time in over a decade and 
that, that matters to people of Florida. That very much does. I don't think that necessarily happens, but if Tennessee were to catch Florida like that, ooh, buddy, hype a hype train rolling. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Great neck speeds. Oh, yeah. Emery Picker says, with the Bama hangover in full effect, see what people are doing here? Tennessee takes Florida into the fourth with a competitive game. It ends up being a one possession victory. I think he's saying for Florida. And not necessarily bold, but Arkansas beats AM in a defensive masterpiece by Barry Odom. Hey, I agree with you. I agree with you. Very much so. Maybe not the one possession Florida win, but I am saying that Tennessee, I think, is going to cover in that game. So. A lot of Tennessee. Okay, we got another Tennessee one as well. Zachary Kinney says, this group has some big aspirations for Tennessee. Not so much a Tennessee prediction, but <laughs> okay, fair enough. Reed Cousins says, after three weeks, I am convinced that the SEC championship will be Ole Miss versus Georgia. That would be fun. I love I, that. That is, that is huge. I love that a lot. And there's Bama fatigue that's factored into that. And Bama fans, I'm, I'm not saying that your team is about to is about to lose multiple games or you know something like that but i man i think that old miss against georgia would be better than what we saw in 2019 because 2019 lsu georgia felt at the time like oh this great strength on strength matchup with georgia's offense or with georgia's defense rather and can lsu get you know get past an sec an sec defense that really looks the part even more so than bama was that year that, that game would feel different, and it'd be very, very fun to get some new blood in there. Probably not holding out hope that that happens, but I would not hate that at all, Reed Cousins. I like that. Real quick, Ole Miss Michael is Dark. one of those teams, oh, I guess, if you, take the, if you take the logo off of them, oh my goodness, they look good. If they could just keep Blaine Kiff in there, man, and if he could just stay out of trouble, I, that is like... The, one of the best tigers I've ever seen. I mean, it's there's there you know there's a lot of, a lot of a lot of things to be done, but boy does that team look awesome. I love the baby blue. They look so fun. I just I can't root for them enough. The two lane game was that was great. The fact that it was delayed and I actually got to sit there and just watch Matt Corral still trying to throw bombs up sixty one to twenty one in that game was <laughs> so perfect. That's everything I want in my Ole Miss viewing experience right there. Don't think they'd be able to quite do that against Georgia, but still would be fun to see that. Michael Dark says, Georgia has three quarterbacks throw touchdowns against Vandy. Big time revenge game. Revenge for what? What have they done to you? I don't don't necessarily know the revenge angle, but I I do see a scenario in which that could happen because Kirby's love for Stetson Bennett the fourth shows no limits, and Carson Beck getting into this game wouldn't be much of a surprise. Wanting to get JT Daniels out a little bit early as well could have something to do with that. But yeah, I, we're gonna count that as bold. That's still bold. Andy Goins, Arkansas wins by double digits. A&M allowing more than 10 points, some might consider bold. I think Arkansas absolutely scores more than 10 points in this game, but they are not exactly a, a defense that is going to, to roll over. At least it hasn't looked like it quite yet. Arkansas wins that game by double digits. Ooh, buddy. I wish we had been more Sam disrespectful Pittman. to Texas when they played, honestly. Now that we, like, you were, like, on the on the bandwagon. I feel like I, maybe I'm trying to make that up, but it's like, boy, the, the way that we actually felt about Texas, I wish we had said that. So now I'm just like, uh, are we feeling that again? I don't know. 
I don't know. I think A&M is built a little bit different. No, you're right. That was, that's a dumb comparison by me. It's just positive Arkansas sentiment is the common goal here. A lot of, I think a lot of people nationally rooting for Arkansas this weekend. Yeah. That, that's, that's the overwhelming feeling I get. As you've said many a time, very fun team to be able to root for, fun coaching staff to be able to root for. I just want to see the competitive game more than anything else. Aaron Haggard says, both Emory Jones and AR-15 account for as much offense apiece as Tennessee does as a team. <laughs> Florida's defense takes another step forward and keeps Tennessee to 13 points to Florida's 52. Yikes. 52 to 13. I don't know the Florida's offense is necessarily built for that type of game this year. I don't see them as this. And if Anthony Richardson is, is playing and he, he gets 85 yard touchdown runs, then of course this all goes out the window. But I don't know that Florida's offense necessarily has that home run playability outside of Richardson. Like if, if that's not there, because even even with their backs, I don't think that's necessarily their game. I don't think Pierce is that home run hitter. I don't think Malik Davis is either. So getting to 52, hanging half 100 is going to be a little bit tough. But a blowout, that's why we're that's why we're talking bold and brash here. That would be bold. Mm-hmm. Jamie Malazzo. Jamie says, Mississippi State beats LSU by double digits and Coach O is out of a job. Do you think Scott Woodward would pull the plug? I mean, week, uh, was this week four? That'd be a little bit early. Um, it would, you know what I'm saying? That's why I love it. It's heaven and hell. <laughs> it, it wouldn't shock me if that happened. There's, I'm like one of the last like Coach O defenders, you know, apparently on the planet, but I, yeah, it wouldn't shock me. I, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked, yeah. Middle of the season. One and a half years removed from from an Addy would be that be a a, a a very different um, it, for for all that we've talked about with you know I know people have made the Chiswick comparison and I I, I defend Chiswick to the death so I'm, I'm not really big on that comp I, I understand why people are, are kind of throwing it out there but I that that would be just such a quick turnaround if that happens though and if they lose the way that they did last year I guess you can't rule out anything with LSU yeah, another Scott, LSU Scott, related prediction real quick Scott Woodward is a guy who's always kind of gone for the big fish and with all the scandals he could probably fire up with cause kind of like Jeremy Pruitt yeah. so like it's one of those things where it's like that specific athletic director I think is about short of so I get why people think that I just hope it doesn't happen <laughs> right right by the way, sorry if anybody can hear my neighbors who have just decided to do yard work in the middle of the day. Um, wow. Really, apologies for that. We live in no a society, idea. guy. Come on. Like, it's it's Wednesday at 1.30. Who is at their <laughs> house doing significant yard work right now? Whatever. Um, anyways, uh, Eric Beasley says, LSU finally gets everything right and beats the mess out of Mississippi State. That would be bold because going on the road and doing that for what we've seen from LSU so far this year, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that that happens, but I, I think that that if else that would be like the all right, we're back on track. The bounce back year is is in full effect if something like that happens because you'd still be undefeated in SEC play and you control your own destiny to Atlanta. Jeremy Jones, Vandy pulls the upset against Georgia. Jeremy's not serious. Jeremy, that's a come on. Jeremy, you know what? I'll make you this deal right now. Vandy pulls the upset against Georgia. You're coming on the pod. Yeah, we'll get you on the pod. Talk about this inside this this tip that you got 
this gambling tip to say that Vandy was going to be able to, to win this football game. Um, speaking of Vandy, James O'Quinn, Vandy returns a kickoff for a TD and scores an offensive touchdown due to a UGA fumble or a pick or something that gives them good starting field position, leading them to score 14 points, the most any team has scored against Georgia through four games. That's the type of bold prediction I like. Love that. Because there's yeah. good context there. Vandy scoring 14 points. Vandy fans walk away feeling good about that. They're like, all right, we're, we got this offense rolling now. We're in good shape. We can put up 14 against Georgia. Man, imagine what we can do against Florida. Buddy, Clark Lee hype train, fast. <laughs> the back, folks. Brandon Dixon. <laughs> Brandon Dixon says, Ole Miss doesn't lose, and we go into Tuscaloosa undefeated. This is a promise, not a prediction. Yeah. So, yes, Brandon, you will be right. Ole Miss not playing uh, this weekend. I agree with you that they will be undefeated unless the SEC finds some way to give Ole Miss a loss, which I guess never rule that out either. Andrew Diaz. Anthony Richardson is low-key pissed after getting left out as a precaution last week and goes for over 400 yards from scrimmage versus the Vols. I can't see that happening without an Emory Jones injury. Now, if Emory Jones goes down in the first quarter, that might not be so bold. That could absolutely happen. We haven't really seen Tennessee face a quarterback that can do the things that Anthony Richardson has. Maybe there's nobody in college football who can do all the things that Anthony Richardson can. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you get what I'm saying. Pickett, the pit quarterback, not quite at that level athletically. He can scoot a little bit, as the kids like to say, but not, not quite Anthony Richardson. If Anthony Richardson is able to play significant snaps in this game, I guess you just never rule it out because when a guy's averaging 25 yards a carry and he's the leading rusher on a team that is ranked number two in the country in rushing, never say never. Michael Keller, Florida blanks Tennessee and has a great rebound from the loss last week. Putting up a goose egg. They would not like that in Knoxville. I love how there are goose so many are, early Tennessee predictions that like people are just like, all right, let's be rational here. <laughs> let's even these out. We don't like the way this is going. Brought him back to earth. I like it. Randall Houston says something that I kind of wish I had said. Uh, Corey Kiner gets 150 plus rushing yards against Mississippi State. Corey Kiner kind of emerged as the guy in that LSU backfield last week. Now, against lesser competition, of course, but they, they've been desperate to find that running back. They, they simply have not had it in the first part of this season. And I know Hester is pretty high on Kiner as well and kind of the way that he's, he's shifty, he's patient. He had this play at the line of scrimmage where he just threw a dude. He just flat out threw a dude. It was very Clyde Edwards-Alaire-esque. Not saying he's gonna be Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but if LSU could find a back that they could give the football to 20 times in a game, Max Johnson would just drop to his knees and, 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 and thank the, the football gods for doing that because they're desperate for it. And Kiner could be that guy, could be that guy. Nick Jones, Stetson starts against Vandy, lets a rip for six touchdowns just in the first half, scores an NIL deal with a prestigious Athens law firm, and his face is plastered on every billboard on 316. I'm not rolling out Kirby starting Stetson. I'm just not. Any game. Doesn't, it could be the national championship. Kirby, <laughs> still in the back of his mind, is thinking to himself, well, let's not forget 2020 Auburn, all right? You know, what he did 2021 against UAB this season, Stetson looked pretty good. He could run the offense. Kirby's just always going to have that thought in the back of his mind. 
I love how we, we gave a comparison that was like, I forgot who it was, but it's like, that's what Stetson's been. It should have been. Like, he just comes in like a hero. He goes out, we never see him again. And it's like, Zeb it, Nolan. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Zeb, exactly. In like the two weeks since then, it's like, oh, he's just Georgia's starting quarterback now. <laughs> like, it's just right. like, here he is back again. Stetdad, at it. We can't get rid of him. He's going to transition like promptly into a law career. He's just going to be, he's going to be on all the billboards. It's just, boom, six year senior into the legal world running Athens. Stetson Bennett's going to get himself a, a very prestigious job. Yep. Trust me. Stetson Bennett, at one point or another, won some very rich Georgia booster a lot of money. And Stetson Bennett has earned a post-football job as a result of that. Oh, yes. I can guarantee you that. That's not a bold and brash prediction. That's just that as a fact. Stetson Bennett is going to be taking care of making six figures the second he stops playing football. Facts. Which Georgia fans, many of them would hope that that would be like, you know, this week. <laughs> Appreciate what Stetson Bennett is. <laughs> Christopher R. Sadros. Great name, Christopher. Uh, Christopher says, Ole Miss versus Florida for the SEC championship. That opener last year was excellent in Oxford. I wish we could have seen that game in a, a packed house, but that was the first real sign where you got a little taste of this Lane Kiffin, Jeff Levy offense and how fun it was. And Florida fans were really upset that game because it looked like everything was open on the back end and their secondary wasn't very good. But if you kind of go back and watch that game, it was, it was incredible. Some of the stuff that Ole Miss was, was dialing up and, and obviously some of the plays that Kyle Pitts was making in that game, Kyle Pitts wouldn't be in an SEC championship this year, but I loved that matchup. And I thought it was one of the better, kind of more underrated games of the season. Getting there this year is going to be a little bit tough. A little bit tough. Florida getting by Georgia. Ole Miss getting by Bama. If there's a bet, if, if you could put that, that bet on FanDuel, you get some pretty good odds, I bet, at this point. Or maybe wait, wait a second for Florida to have like maybe a lesser performance against Tennessee and all of a sudden we start questioning Florida again instead of coming off of a game in which they played competitively against Bama. But Ole Miss, Florida, SEC Championship. Not terrible. That, Not terrible at all. That game you were just talking about was such chaos. I just remember Kadarius Tony was just, they were just swinging out to him and he just became Tecmo Bo Jackson. <laughs> it was like, oh, dudes were like exploding. It was like, like, as if a bomb went off in front of him trying to tackle him. That, that game was hilarious. Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts against the 2020 version of the Ole Miss defense was, uh, I'm just going to say it, it was not a fair fight. Right. Would be, would be a little bit different this year. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think Ole Miss would have a much better chance of being able to stay on the field. Would be a good competitive game. And on the flip side, I think Florida's defense would fare a little bit better against Matt Corral than they did last year when they really, really struggled with him. That was a lot of bold and brash takes. like that everybody's getting all on board with this. So many great responses to be able to work through. If you have not yet, for whatever reason, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Go tell a friend, hey, you're looking for a college football podcast to listen to? Go listen to the Saturday Down South podcast. I promise uh, we will do everything we can to make sure that you will not look stupid to your friend. Got a couple of things in the works uh, over the next few weeks. We're going to kind of wait and see how that's going to go. Hoping to be able to get Grant Morgan on next week. Um, the, the ball is, is rolling for that to be able to happen, but um, we'll see if we're able to, to make that work. So if you have not already, go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday Lives Forever wherever you get your podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.